Welcome to the Plainfield Christian Church Podcast. We hope that the message today encourages you. For additional resources to inspire you in your journey with Christ, connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Enjoy today's podcast. Good morning, church. Hey, my name is Luke, and I get to serve as one of the ministers here. And one of my great heroes is a guy named Charles Spurgeon. He was a preacher in England in the 1800s, and he was this incredible man. His nickname was the Prince of Preachers, which I think is kind of awesome because I'm a nerd. And uh, over his 38 years of ministry, Charles Spurgeon did some incredible things. He would regularly read six books a week. He would respond by hand to 500 letters a week. Over his career, he edited a magazine, authored over 140 books, founded an orphanage, baptized 15,000 people, and started a college that trained 1,000 students for ministry during his lifetime and is still operating in London today. Plus, he had a fantastic beard. You should look up a picture of it. It's amazing. Guys like a baby face with me can only dream. Um, And every single week, Spurgeon would preach these sermons, and then his sermons would be written down, and they would be printed on a newspaper that would then be circulated. 25,000 copies of his sermons were distributed every single week. And so the story goes, one, lady, one, one day there's this lady, she goes to the grocery, she buys some butter, and the butter is wrapped in newspaper. She takes the butter home, she's putting her butter away, getting it out. She unwraps it, sees that on this newspaper is printed one of Charles Spurgeon's sermons. She reads it, gives her life to the Lord right there in the kitchen, putting away her groceries. I have never had a grocery conversion. This is awesome, right? Just this incredible ministry. And during the course of his 38 years, Charles Spurgeon's church grew to be the largest independent congregation in the world. Their auditorium had 5,000 seats, packed house every single week. And keep in mind, this is before the days of speaker systems. He just spoke with his voice into this 5,000 seat auditorium. And so um, one week he was getting ready to preach. And before he was going to preach, he went to the church and he went there into the auditorium, big empty room just to test the acoustics of the room, and he just bellowed out in front of all these empty seats. And he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And out in the church lobby, there was a workman who's working on a project. Well, he heard that one sentence from Spurgeon's mouth. He was so smitten with conviction that he dropped his tools and he gave his life to Jesus right there. I have also not had a mic check conversion, okay? <laughs> Consider it on the bucket list for this nerdy preacher. Um, and, and, and Charles Spurgeon, whenever visitors would come to visit his church, they'd ask for a tour, you know, so he'd take them on a tour of the church facility, see their grand big sanctuary. And then he'd say to his visitors, he'd say, now, would you like to go see the boiler room? And the visitors would think, the boiler room? What? Like, no, why would we want to go there? Now, keep, keep in mind, this is before the days of electricity. Steam was the main power source for the day. So in large facilities like that, they would have a boiler room. And it was typically down in the basement. A boiler room was dark. It was dirty. It was grimy. It was hot. It was not somewhere that you would take visitors. But Charles Spurgeon would take the visitors down into the basement of his church building and he'd lead them to a room where he would open up the door and inside that room, there'd be a 100 people praying nonstop. And Spurgeon would say with a smile, this, this is the church's boiler room. This is the powerhouse for this congregation. And anytime somebody asked Charles Spurgeon, what is the secret of your ministry? He would say, my people pray for me. Prayer is the power of the church. 
Now, um, we have a lot of great ministries in this church. God does a lot of cool things. But anything good that has ever happened from Plainfield Christian Church, anything good that ever will happen at Plainfield Christian Church is due to the prayers of God's people unleashing the power of God. Prayer is the boiler room for what happens here. And so that means then that um, we have a specific group of servants in our church who've dedicated themselves to serving in prayer. You guys know we have a prayer team that gathers around the edges of the room. At the end of every service, they've got their glowing lanyards on, and they're there for you. Like if you have a, a big thing, you're thinking, all right, I need to give my life to Jesus. Jesus, or I've got my life off track, I need to get my life back on track, or man, I'm carrying a real burden, I need to pray for healing, whatever it is, the prayer team is there for you at the end of the service and after the service, we want to walk with you and pray with you so you can experience the joy of becoming fully alive in Jesus with the big things, but also with the small things. Maybe if you're just like, you know, I'm having a hard day. Like I got in a fight, or, or I'm sick, or my kid made a bad decision, or I, I have a friend who, who's, in a, who's in a pickle right now. Like we're there to pray for you in the big things and in the small things. Um, but we're also coming out of this series on prayer. We're launching a new part of our prayer team, a new arm of the prayer team that for lack of a better name, we're just gonna call it the boiler room, if that's okay. And what we want is we wanna see a group of servants in, a, in one room here in our church building just praying for what happens here. During every service on every Sunday morning, just praying for the kids over there, praying for our missionaries around the world, praying for what's happening here, that God would continue to do good work among us. So listen, if you've been feeling a prompt saying, I need to redevote myself to prayer, I wanna learn how to pray, or maybe you're thinking, listen, there's a lot of things I can't do, but I do love to pray, and you'd be willing to serve either on our prayer team around the room, or you're thinking, I don't really wanna do the people part, but I love to pray, and you would be willing to serve in the boiler room by just volunteering for a service to just pray for what is happening here. We would love to get you plugged in and walk with you to discover more about that. Make a mental note that on February the 18th, we're gonna have a meeting for anybody who's even remotely interested in serving on the prayer team. That's February 18th at 4 p.m. Sunday afternoon. It's gonna be over there in the chapel. Hope to see you there. Also wanna remind you that on February 18th, we're kicking off our first round of Rooted for the year. If you're here but you haven't really gotten plugged in, you wanna get to know more people, you wanna find out what it looks like to follow Jesus, or maybe your life's just kinda gotten off track and you need to swing back, um, we would love to walk you through Rooted. It's a 10-week small group experience designed to help you connect to Jesus and your purpose in this season of life. It meets on Sunday evenings for two hours, childcare is provided. So I'd really encourage you to go. It's the best on-ramp to life here at Plainfield Christian Church. Again, that's February 18th. You can sign up for it though on the QR, uh, QR, Q card, QR code on the back of the seat in front of you. Or if you need help, you can go talk to the welcome desk out there. But prayer, prayer here is the boiler room of anything good that happens. Because anything good that happens here, we believe is due to the power of God not due to our own wit or wisdom or wealth or cleverness or ability. And if prayer really is the boiler room power for the Christian life, then that's why we've been spending the first few weeks of this year echoing a request that Jesus' disciples made to him one time. They said, Lord, teach us to pray. And in response, Jesus gave his followers the Lord's Prayer. So we've been walking through that together. Would you pray those words with me again this morning as we begin? This is how Jesus taught his friends to pray. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Amen. Now, today we're just zooming in on one little verse. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And when I think of that verse, I also think of this video that makes me laugh. Check this out. Aiden has one dollar bill, 
one quarter and two pennies. How how much money how much money does he have? Jayden broke. <laughs> In fact, I love that so much. Can we watch it one more time, please? Aiden has one dollar bill, one quarter, and two pennies. How how much money how much money does he have? Jayden broke. <laughs> Oh, man, if you're having a bad day, that kid's laugh is just medicine for your soul, isn't it? My goodness. Jaden broke, you know? <laughs> and when Jesus tells us here to pray, God, forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors, the fundamental truth that that prayer is based on is that you and me, we're Broke, that's right, there you go, we're broke. In fact, Jesus is implying that we are more than just broke, we are actually in debt. And we're not just in debt to any old person, we are in debt to God himself, and we are so broke that there's nothing you can even remotely do to begin to pay off that debt. And so Jesus tells us to pray for God to forgive our debts. And we need to receive that forgiveness, don't we? So if Jesus says, hey, when you pray, you need to ask God to forgive your debts. Jesus is assuming then that you and I are broke and that you and I are going to stay broke. You cannot unbroke yourself. And that is a very humbling reality to come to terms with because that means that you and me in this life, we're gonna keep on sinning. We will not attain perfection this side of heaven. And, and the closer we get to our Father in heaven, the more we behold his glory, the more we will realize just how far short of that glory we fall. And that's a humbling reality to live in, to know that no matter what, like at the end of the day, I am spiritually broke. Um, I was baptized on October 28th, 2001. That means that I have been indwelt by the Holy Spirit and been walking with Jesus now for 23 years. And the thing that saddens me about that is that that means that I have sinned way more since becoming a Christian than I ever did before becoming a Christian. And that breaks my heart. Now I hope when you hear me say that, your gospel radar is going off in your head. And I hope you wanna jump up and you wanna say, yeah, Luke, I get that, but don't you know that Jesus paid for all of it? Yeah, Luke, I get that, and I know you're a sinner, but Jesus took all that debt, and he nailed it to the cross, and he paid for the whole thing. I hope you want to say that when I confess my sin to you. Now, yes, that's true. Praise God for that. But if that is true, why does Jesus want us to keep on asking God to forgive our debts? Apparently, it's not that if you're in Christ, you need to keep like being saved all over again and asking God to redeem you again every time you mess up. Um, I, I can remember as a kid going to a VBS at a, at a little church down the road, and I was sitting in the class, and I don't know who the teacher was, God bless her, sweet little old lady, and she was teaching all of us kids a lesson, and little seven or eight-year-old Luke is sitting there, and I, I remember it like it was yesterday. I remember she wrote, some, she wrote some tally marks up on the board, and she said, when you sin, that's, that's a tally mark. You tell a lie, you hit your sister, you disobey your parents. Every time you sin, that's a tally mark on the board, but then you pray, and you ask God to forgive your sins, and he wipes the sins away. Now that's, that's good news, that's not bad. But then unfortunately she kept going. And she said, you know, but then you, then you sin again. And you know, you steal a piece of candy, 
and you yell at your brother, and it's more tally marks up there on the board. But then you pray, and you ask God to forgive your sins, and, 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 and he wipes it all clean again. And so then the implication of that teaching is that then seven-year-old little Luke is thinking, yeah, but what if I get in a car accident on the way home and I die and I've still got a couple little tally marks on my board that I haven't asked God to forgive me for? What then? Because that may have sounded like good news, but that's actually not the gospel. There's a very subtle difference. The gospel, the good news, is that when Jesus died for you, he paid for all of it at once. You remember what he said from the cross? He said, it's finished that he saw every dumb thing you've ever done, every dumb thing you're ever gonna do, every sin, past, present, and future, and he paid for all of it. He nailed it to the cross all at once, washed clean in his blood. And so the implication of that is, did you know that you actually can't disappoint God? Man, that's really good news. Some of you are walking around, you've been following Jesus for a long time, but you're still hanging your head thinking God's disappointed when he thinks about you. You can't disappoint God. Are you kidding me? Like, like you thought that he was getting some kind of perfect person? <laughs> like you bait, baited and switched on him? No, God knew exactly what he was getting when he paid for you. He knew all of it. He saw every little one of your sins in the past, every little sin that you're gonna do today, every little sin that you're gonna do for the rest of your life, and he paid for all of it all at once. He knew exactly what he was getting when he paid for you and redeemed you with his own blood. You can't disappoint him. And so if that's true, that it's all finished, that it's all forgiven, that it's all washed clean in the blood of Christ, and that even every time you mess up for the rest of your life as a follower of Jesus, grace now gets to be the background music for all of that. If that's true, then why does Jesus tell us to keep on asking God to forgive us our debts over and over again? And maybe it's because even though those sins are already forgiven, they still pull you away from God, don't they? Like every, every time you still sin, even though it's covered by the blood of Jesus, it still has an effect on you. It still hardens your heart. It still draws you away from him. And God does not just desire your obedience. He wants you. And, and confession, um, bringing those sins to God, admitting to him, yeah, I am broke, <laughs> that actually, that brings us back closer to him. It begins to repair that relationship. Man, one of my favorite things is when my kids come up to me and they say, Dad, you remember how you told me not to throw my Spider-Man action figure across the house? <laughs> well, I did, and it broke. <laughs> and was that a sin? Yeah. Man, but I'm so glad they told me. Man, I love that. I'm so glad you told me so that we can work on it together and you just didn't try to hide it and pretend like it didn't happen. And, and, and so when, when we pray, forgive us our debts, what we're doing is we're coming to our Father and we're agreeing with him. We're saying, yeah, Lord, I'm broke. I did it again. And we're bringing to God what is actually inside of us and not what we think is supposed to be inside of us. Because there's a difference. Some of you have been walking with Jesus for a long time and you're exhausted in your Christianity. You're totally worn out in your faith. And maybe the reason is that because you think you're supposed to bring this version of you to God, that the version of you that God wants is that version that's super spiritual and always noble and always true and always honest and always self-disciplined, but you're not actually like that. And that's not some kind of version of you that God wants. God wants the actual you. When Jesus says that we're supposed to pray for God to forgive us our debts, he's implying here that prayer is not a place to pretend to be perfect. 
Prayer is a place to actually be honest because God wants the real you. He wants the dishonest, scared, happy, sad, distracted, angry, honorable, well-intentioned, but still selfish and completely bankrupt you. Because newsflash, kids are really bad liars, aren't they? Have you ever watched a three-year-old try to lie to you? It's pitiful. It's like, bro, what do you think you're doing? <laughs> God knows you're broke. You can't fool him. He's not surprised by your sin. Psalm 103 says it like this. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we're formed. He remembers that we're dust. He knows you're broke. And he wants you to bring that broken heart to him anyway. King David, after he committed that awful sin with Bathsheba, he prayed this. He said, he said my sacrifice, O oh God, like the only thing I have to bring to you, Lord, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. I don't know about you, but that's good news for me this morning. You know, read through the Gospels. Jesus had zero tolerance for religious leaders who thought they were awesome. Jesus loved being around the people who knew they were broke, the people who were willing to take that ugly on the inside and bring it to the outside so that Jesus could work on it and they could fix it together. When you pray for God to forgive your debts, you don't need to string together the perfect words. You don't need to try to sound more spiritual than you actually are. You just gotta tell them that you're broke. Tell them what you did. Tell them what you thought. Tell them what you didn't do. And then receive the forgiveness that he wants to give you. The promise is this, 1 John chapter one. This is one of Jesus' disciples, one of his best earthly friends, John, who says this. He says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth's not in us. We're broke. But if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just, and he will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. The good news for you today is that you are broke, but no matter what you did, no matter when you did it, no matter how often you did it, how recently you did it, how disgustingly you did it, there's forgiveness and freedom available for you through the power of Jesus Christ. He paid for it already, you just gotta take it. You just gotta receive it. Man, it's some of you. Like you've been walking with God for so long and yet you're still imprisoned in this little cell of shame from stuff that happened so long ago. Carrying it around thinking you gotta pay for it somehow. And some of you are just racked with guilt and anxiety and you lay your head down on the pillow at night and you think, am I good enough? Am I gonna make it? Like what does God actually think when he really looks at the real me? And others of you, you got this proud, hard heart and you're thinking, you know what? Yeah, I think I am all right. I think I'm doing okay. I think I'm good. I don't think I'm broke. But when you come to him and you admit, God, this is, this is what I got. I need you to forgive my debts because I'm a mess. The good news is he meets you in that place every single time. And if you need to surrender to Jesus today, hey, we are ready for you. I don't know how warm or cold the water is, but it's there and we're ready, okay? <laughs> Man, the prayer team's gonna be around the edges of the room. Please, please, please don't put it off any longer. Today can be the day of salvation because some of you, you are just mired in the muck of guilt and you are lost in a maze of shame and you are tangled in a web of self-hatred or you have a proud, hardened heart still trying to pretend that everything your life in your life is okay. But there's forgiveness and there's freedom available to you today. Father, forgive us our debts. I don't know about you. I love having my sins forgiven. Forgive us our debts. And then it's the next word that gets me. 
Forgive us our debts as, there's a lot there. (laughs) Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. What that means is that our horizontal relationships affect our vertical relationship. That like how you treat the people around you actually affects how God treats you. And that, that's, it's all over the Bible. Go back to the greatest commandment of all. This guy comes up to Jesus. He said, Jesus, there's a lot of commands in the Bible. Just tell me which is the most important one. Matthew 22. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment of all in the law? And Jesus replied, you know it. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. But then he says, the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. You wanna know how much you love God? Look at how much you love the people around you. You ready to have your socks knocked off? Look at this, Dorothy Day says, I really only love God as much as I love the person I love the least. Sheesh. (laughs) I really only love God as much as I love the person I love the least. Is that convicting to anybody else in the room? And, and Jesus, when he gives us the Lord's Prayer, he's, he's preaching a sermon. It happens in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. And this truth about horizontal relationships and vertical relationships, it's all over the Sermon on the Mount. At the beginning, Matthew chapter five, verse seven, he says, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. He goes on, verse 23, he says, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar, First, go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Later on in Matthew chapter seven, he says, for in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Like that's, that's a tough teaching. And the Bible says, 1 John chapter four, if you hate your brother or sister, the love of God does not live in you. Proverbs 21, if you don't take care of the poor, God will not hear your prayers. Wives, go home and look this one up. First Peter chapter three, verse seven. Husbands, if you mistreat your wives, if you do not live with them in a considerate way, God will not hear your prayers. Every wife is gonna go home this afternoon and try out that line. You better listen to me or he ain't gonna listen to you. <laughs> the way you treat those around you affects the way that God treats you. Right after the Lord's Prayer, Jesus says this here in Matthew chapter six. He says, if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. That's tough. What's that mean? I don't think that Jesus is implying here that you can like earn God's forgiveness by forgiving enough other people. I do think he's saying though that you have to admit that you are guilty before you can receive his grace. Uh, John Stott says it like this. He says, this certainly does not mean that our forgiveness of others earns us the right to be forgiven. It is rather that God forgives only the penitent and that one of the chief evidences of true penitence is a forgiving spirit. George Herbert says, he who cannot forgive another breaks the bridge over which he must pass himself. Now, you're gonna walk out those doors and you're not gonna hear stuff like that because the message of the world to you is gonna be just the opposite. The world's gonna say, you didn't deserve that. You need to go get even. You need to settle the score. 
When's the last time you watched a really great action-packed forgiveness movie? <laughs> no, right? We love a good vengeance story. Hello, my name is Inigo Montoya. <laughs> you killed my father. Prepare to die. <laughs> yeah. If you don't get that reference, greatest movie of all time, I will work to forgive you so that God will forgive me. <laughs> Man, that doesn't fly in the church. We're not an Inigo Montoya kind of place. Like, we are the people of God, and we're different. And the thing that bonds us together this morning is that we're broken. Actually, we are the ones who deserve to die, but we have had our debts erased, and that means that from here on, we are the fellowship of the forgiven. And forgiven people forgive. Let me say that one more time. Forgiven people forgive. I heard one pastor say one time that the secret to a good marriage, he said, is just one word. It's not money, it's not sex, it's not beauty, it's not compatibility, it's not even communication. (laughs) He said the word is forgiveness. Every good marriage is a union of two good forgivers. And you know this by experience. You've lived long enough to know that if you want to have deep and lasting friendships, if you want to see your family more than once a year, if you want to have a healthy, functioning team at your job, if you want to have life-giving, enriching relationships with God's church, then you have to receive and then to give forgiveness because forgiven people forgive. It's who we are. And if that's true, then it begs the question, what is forgiveness? What is forgiveness? Um, you have somebody in your life who has hurt you. You have something right now, I'm sure, that is frustrating you. Uh, you have something probably even recently that has been done to you that's driving you crazy. Pull that thing into your mind. Pull that person into your mind right now. What does it mean to forgive in that situation? First, let's take a look at what forgiveness is not. First of all, forgiveness is not pretending that it didn't happen. It did happen. It did matter. We're not gonna sweep it under the rug. So forgiveness is saying, hey, listen, things might never go back to the way they were before. We can't go back to where we were, but by God's grace, I do believe we can move forward and he can still make this something good. It's not pretending it didn't happen. Secondly, forgiveness is also not forgetting. Forgive and forget is not in the Bible. A lot of the time, truth is, you know this, you'll never forget. You're going you're gonna to carry those scars to your grave. But forgiveness is saying, I remember, but I'm choosing not to use that memory as a weapon against you. Third thing is this. Forgiveness is also not the absence of consequences. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have to forgive. It's not optional. It is a command. But Just because you've forgiven doesn't mean you can automatically trust. It doesn't mean the relationship is automatically restored and reconciled to what it was before. And it doesn't mean that there are no consequences. Sometimes you have to let people feel the full weight of the wrong that they have done. It's not the absence of consequences. Here's the fourth thing. This one's important. Forgiveness is not waiting for it to stop hurting. Uh, We're living in a therapeutic culture right now that's gonna tell you that your feelings are at the core of who you are and that you need to follow those feelings wherever they lead you, no matter the cost. And so that, follow the feelings to what you do with your life and and to who you're with and to choosing your gender and all kinds of things. And and if you choose to follow your feelings, it will often lead you to a very destructive place, even in forgiveness. And so if that's the message you're believing, that you have to follow your feelings, then when somebody hurts you, yeah, you can forgive them once it stops hurting. 
But to steal a line from the wise and world-renowned theologians Boston from their Don't Look Back album, (laughs) forgiveness is more than a feeling. You know where I'm going, right? Yeah. Yeah, of course we pray that over time you'll be able to overcome those feelings of anger or bitterness or resentment. But even while you still feel those things, you can actually still choose to forgive because what is forgiveness? Forgiveness is canceling the debt. Canceling the debt. Forgiveness is saying, hey, look, you hurt me. You wronged me. It's unacceptable. In fact, I think you owe me. But in the same way that God treated me, I will treat you. And I'm canceling that debt. What you owe, I am no longer requiring you to pay. I'm not going to hold it over your head. You don't have to earn my favor. You don't have to work it off for me to accept you. Colossians chapter 3, verse 13. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Sounds nice, but it's really hard, isn't it? So how do I forgive? Jesus gives us a clue later on here in the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 18, Jesus tells a story of a servant and his master. And the the servant owed his master a a huge debt, 10,000 bags of gold, billions of dollars, a debt he could never hope to repay because the servant was broke. And the master calls the servant in, and the servant knows he's going to lose his job, he's going to lose his home, he's going to lose his family. This is it. That's all she wrote. And yet at the last moment, the master steps in and he says, you know what? I'm, I'm canceling this debt. You, you, you are forgiven. You can go free. And the servant goes out and he's really excited. He's just had this massive debt that he could never repay. He's had it forgiven. He's free. And as the servant leaves, he runs into one of his fellow servants who owed him a few silver coins. And what do you think that servant should do? Like we expect him, because he just had this huge debt forgiven, to forgive that little debt, right? To do what had been done to him. But instead the servant goes up and he, and he throttles the guy. He says, pay back what you owe me. And so, of course, when the master finds out about this, the master was was angry, and he threw that unmerciful servant in prison. That's the story Jesus told. And so perhaps what Jesus means then is that the key to forgiving others is realizing how much God has forgiven you. I heard a true story recently of a couple that was getting ready to adopt a baby, but as the process went along, eventually they found out that this baby was going to be born with spina bifida. And the doctor said that she would live, but that she would have pretty severe problems for the rest of her life. And so the adoption agency called and said, hey, listen, we understand if you guys need to back out. And this couple started wrestling. They're struggling with this decision. They're praying through it. And the wife said this. She said, during this whole process, one night, I had this dream. And in my dream, I was in a big, huge stadium as beautiful children were brought up on stage for adoption. And each child would be held up. And somebody would say, who wants this child? And various couples would volunteer to take the child into their home. But there was one child who was brought up who was very obviously marred and disfigured. And the voice called out again, who wants this child? In the crowd, that huge stadium fell deathly silent. Nobody said a word. And finally, she said, in in her dream, somebody stood up in the crowd and said, I'll take that one. And in my dream, I looked, and it was Jesus. And he walked forward to take the child. And of course, I'm hearing that for the first time, and I'm like, man, what a beautiful picture of what Jesus has done for us, right? But she kept going. (laughs) She said, in my dream, when, when Jesus went down to get the baby, this disfigured, ugly baby, I got a glimpse of that baby's face. 
And that baby that was all marred and disfigured on that baby was my face. And in that moment, I knew the truth that Jesus had adopted me when I was disfigured, when I was wrecked by sin. And so we made the decision to take in that child in the same way that he took us in. Because what God has done for us influences what we do for others. Forgiven people forgive. And the truth is that God has had to forgive in me more than I will ever have to forgive in anybody else. You know, our church supports a ministry in Ukraine called TCI, an incredible ministry. We've been partners with them for many years. And a few months ago, a couple of our friends from Ukraine were here to visit, and they led our staff chapel that we have here in this room on Wednesday mornings. And one of us, his name is, one of them, his name is Leonid. He, he described that morning, 5 a.m., when he got the phone call saying that the war had started. And so they had to pack everything and, and, and flee for their lives that very day. And as they're leaving, they're wondering what's going to happen to their home. And sure enough, a few weeks later, they found out that 20 Russian soldiers had taken over Leonid's house. They're using it as an army barracks. They're parking military vehicles in his front yard. And, and Leonid's, Leonid, he's, he's angry. He's furious about this. Am I going to lose everything? What are, what are they doing to my home? And, and eventually their hometown was liberated. He got to go back for a little bit. And his worst fears were realized when they got back to their home. They realized these soldiers had destroyed, ruined, stolen everything. And Lena had said he was, he was angry. He's furious. They had no right. This was my home. They owed me. And yet, as he so often does, the Holy Spirit began to gently whisper to Leonid and say, hey, Leonid, it's just stuff. Hey, Leonid, remember how Jesus said to love your enemies? Hey, Leonid, remember how Jesus said to pray for those who mistreat you? Hey, Leonid, you remember what else is in your house? A whole bunch of Bibles. And so Lena began the process of slowly listening to the Lord and forgiving these soldiers. And he, he sat right here and he told us that I have forgiven them. And today I'm living with a dream. He's living by faith that someday he's gonna get a phone call from a number he doesn't know. He's gonna get a phone call from a Russian number and there's gonna be a voice on the other end of the line that says, hey, you don't know me. But a long time ago, I stayed at your house. And while I was there, I found a Bible and it changed my life. Forgiven people forgive. I read something recently by a man who went through a divorce or a, a breakup, and, and he wrote this. He said, once upon a time, I was engaged to a young lady who changed her mind. I forgave her, but it took me a whole year, and I had to forgive her in small sums over that whole 12 months. I paid those sums whenever I spoke to her and kept myself from rehashing the past. I paid them whenever I saw her with another man and refused self-pity and rehearsal inside for what she'd done to me. And I paid them whenever I praised her to others when I really wanted to slice away at her reputation. Those were the payments, but she never knew them. However, I never knew her payments, but I know she made them, I could tell. Forgiveness is not only a refusal to hate someone, it's choosing to love and will the good of the offender. It is painful, but wood, nails, and pain are the currency of forgiveness. It is as the ultimate wood and nails were. It leads to healing and more 
to resurrection. Forgiven people forgive. And listen, you have been hurt deeply and you will be wounded again. And the Bible says, not once, that you should suck it up and move on and that it's no big deal. We're not saying that sin doesn't matter. We're not saying that pain doesn't hurt. But we are saying that no matter how big the offense, the gospel and the cross of Jesus Christ are bigger still. And forgiven people forgive. So we've ended each of these sermons with a practice for you to take home and to implement in your own prayer life. We've got blogs being written about each of them. We've talked about praying scripture and practicing the presence of God and circling what you wanna see God do. This last week we practiced fasting, but this coming week we wanna practice together as a church something called examine. And basically it's just a form of self-examination and then confession. And this is, it's really all throughout scripture, even this is a prayer you can pray to do it. Psalm 139, at the end, the psalmist says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me, know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. It's you asking God to help you to look inside. So the goal is, would you just spend two minutes at the end of your day even laying in bed, two minutes, just thinking back over the events of the day. Just go back, what did I do today? Who was I with? What did I say? What were the conversations I had? Where was I today? And as you reflect on your day, just ask God, hey Lord, what do you want me to be aware of from today? And he maybe will bring some good things to your mind, a conversation that you had that drew you closer to him, something good you did, something you can be grateful for that brought you joy, but maybe he'll also bring some not good things to your mind, something you should have done that you didn't do something you did do that you knew was wrong, somebody that you hurt, a word that you wish you could take back, something that drew your heart farther away from him. And when he brings that thing to your mind, just admit it. Say, God, you're right. I'm broke. Forgive me my debts and help me to forgive my debtors. Honestly, you can even look at Galatians 5 at the fruit of the Spirit. This is an exercise that's convicting for me. And you walk through the fruit of the Spirit. Say, was I loving today? Was I joyful? Was I peaceful? Was I patient? Was I kind and good and faithful? Was I gentle? Was I self-controlled? And then when God brings those things to mind, say, God, I'm broke. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Would you pray with me? And so, Lord, we're here with empty hands. And, uh, man, if we had to come before you based on our resume, we've got nothing, Lord. We're broke. And you know that. But we're thankful that you allow us to come anyway because of the forgiveness and the freedom and the power of the blood of your Son. So thank you. And Father, for my brothers and sisters in the room who are still walking in that darkness of wondering whether or not they could ever be right, truly right with you, speak to them the peace of your forgiveness. And if there's anybody here who doesn't know it yet, Lord, call them to you. And then, as freely as we receive your forgiveness, send us out by the power of your Holy Spirit to freely give. It's in Jesus' name that all God's people said. Amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast today. It's our desire for you to grow in your understanding of Christ's love as you partner with us in our mission to love all people to new life in Christ. 
If you have any questions about our church or would like to plan a visit with us, go to plainfieldchristian.com. If you would like to receive our podcast every week, we encourage you to subscribe to the Plainfield Christian Church Podcast on whatever podcasting platform you prefer. Have a great week.